Tonight I'd like to speak about a blameless life, a blameless life. And um, I'm just wondering whether you're still here to hear it. <laughs> it's amazing how quickly we go, isn't it? We spend an uh, enormous amount of the first part of the retreat just arriving. And it really takes some people several days, perhaps half the retreat, to really arrive. And then we give it away, just give it away like that. We give it away at the first phone call. We give it away at the first uh, idea of what our life will be to, tomorrow, or the first thought of expectation or worry. Well, it's like that. I, I don't bemoan it. Uh, if you look at what it means to awaken, what it means to make the unconscious conscious, this is what it means. This is what it looks like. It's full of contradictions. And we uh, realize how precious it is what we had, uh, but it's almost like gold, really. But that we um, are overpowered by the momentum of where we intend to go and uh, the exertion of our need to fulfill that prophecy. And so we, we give it away. We give it away. But we, we have to understand that our life you know, has been created. It's, it's not something random. We have created the life we live. We have to own it completely. It requires complete ownership. It's not, it's not a happenstance. It's not you know, serendipitous. It may seem as if part of your life was serendipitous. Perhaps the meeting of the person or whatever, but uh, it's, it's much more orchestrated than what we might believe. And uh, part of the, the beauty of, of Dharma is seeing that orchestration in some way. What you think is complete chance uh, is really the uh, spontaneity of the creativity of the universe showing itself. I want to just tell a brief story. It has nothing to do with what I want to talk about. <laughs> but I was at Gaia House a few years ago uh, during the teacher's meeting. I did a self-retreat there for a couple of months or something like that before it started. And uh, I went down to their library, and I was uh, just looking at some of the shelves. It was quite an extensive library. It's quite nice. And I wasn't really focused on anything in particular. I just pulled off one of the books. I didn't even read what it was. I just pulled it off, and it opened up. And uh, it was Dialogues with Nisargadatta Maharaj. And I had been with Nisargadatta in 1980. And so I started reading it. I said, this sounds familiar. And I was reading it, and it was talking, he was talking to a monk. January 1980, and I looked at it, I was like, my God, this is me. <laughs> now, I didn't know what book I pulled down. I did, it just opened. I didn't fl flip through it. In fact, when I started reading, I had to look at what it was, and there it was. It was a, maybe, maybe two or three page entry into those dialogues. That's the serendipity. That's the the spontaneity of arising. That's the spon it's much more fun when you get into the wonder 
of things. And what, one of the ways that I would suggest you enjoying that wonder is to give yourself the intention when you're in bed, before you get out of the bed in the morning, just say, may I see the wonder that's opening in front of me all day long? May I just watch, may I be witness to the wonder of life as it's opening? And you'll see it. You'll start seeing it. And it's quite a sight. So blamelessness. Blamelessness, I, there are three components that I'd like to speak about in terms of blamelessness. Um, first of all, what blamelessness means really is um, not holding blame to others for uh, whatever is arising or happening to oneself and then not blaming oneself. And then also not having uh, the culture blame you. Uh, and so I, it has three components to it. it there's uh, radical accountability, and I'll talk about that. And then there's ethical integrity, and then there's faith. And so uh, that's sort of the way the talk will unfold. But really, this is an application of the principles that uh, Christine and I have been speaking about the entire week. It's an application. It's, it's for you to go home with. It's a way for you to set your life up, even though you can see that you're willfully allowing life to come back in and some of its chaos and drama. Still, it's going the intention, the intention that many of you took on the retreat is going to bubble up. You're going to remember the retreat in terms of what it meant to you. There will be the pull of the heart. And for those of you who have practiced some time, there will be more of a determination and inclination to move in the direction of that intention that you took on this retreat. For others, you will wait until you come back to the retreat to even remember the intention you took. It's okay. It's all right. It's just part of the whole unfolding. Um, but uh, the I'm just having a senior moment here and can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> what am I going to say? Let's see. Okay, so the application of the principles, the application of what we are talking about requires applying yourself to it. And don't hold selflessness to be something beyond the reach of your everyday life. Do not do that to yourself. If you make it too esoteric, then you'll wait for 10, 15, 20 years until you think you've are refined enough in your dharma understand to even approach it. And it's nonsense. It's approachable. It's approachable from words other than selflessness. Anytime you connect, anytime you're heartfelt, anytime you move towards something rather than away, anytime you allow your inward life to be known to you, you're working this in a wise direction towards selflessness because selflessness doesn't like any of those things. It wants distance, it wants reaction, it wants aversion, it wants separation, it wants control. So anytime you're moving or willing to move counter to the conditionings of those, then you're working in cooperation and in a wise direction. Okay, so Christine has talked about it endlessly and so have I and tonight is yet another um, encouragement in that direction. So please, please, and I've heard many of you say, oh, you know, I just don't get selflessness. I don't, it doesn't matter whether you get it. Do you know what it's like to care? 
You know what it's like to listen to someone without interrupting with your opinionation, real listening? That's something that can be practiced, isn't it? You can actually listen to someone. And you can see right in front of your eyes the feedback of your opinionation and how it confuses the listening. And the clearer you become, the more willing you are to actually drop the opinions, the less self there will be in the interaction and the interconnection between you and the person you're listening to. How hard is that? See, you don't look for it for some, you know, is this selflessness? As soon as you claim reference to it, I assure you it isn't. Right? Okay, so the first part of this I want to talk about is radical accountability. And uh, this is essential for your life and for your dharma life, for your happiness, for your release from suffering. And that is that it's the conviction in oneself that one's internal do not projecting one's internal life onto the population so that you are totally accountable for your internal life. In other words, there's no slippage of blame, which is always your internal life being externalized on conditions that are uh, next to you. The barking dog, you know, the, the grumpy neighbor, the person sitting next to you that's restless, the cougher, the sneezer, the irritations you're feeling are your irritations. They are yours. That is, I'm painting myself. I'm painting, P-A-I-N-I-N-G, painting myself. The world does not do this to us. And it really requires that complete understanding. There's no way around that understanding. As soon as there's slippage, the Four Noble Struths have been um, negated. So you, you begin to see what, okay, so then you take, well, I want to get this thing. So let me look at what I'm doing to life that life doesn't deserve. Let me just feel it in me, you know, and just, so then, of course, because we have such poor self-esteem, we're going to say, well, no, it's not them, it's me. <laughs> well, if there's selflessness, how, how, how can you, that's the, you can't pin your tail, can't pin the tail of your pain onto you. You'd love to, and yourself would love to have it pinned because that gives it another sense of, of, of a problem that it has to resolve. It likes nothing more than try to resolve the problem of selflessness. That one it really loves because it'll just spin around like a cat chasing its tail. And it gives it something to do, and I'm gaining on it. <laughs> okay, so what, once we understand that, then you start, and you can have very clear insights into this. This is, if you incline your mind towards radical accountability, you'll start seeing life and what you do to life. Because just as you, whenever you invite a perception in, you start seeing from that perception. That's how really, you have wonder, you know, if you have wonder, I wonder what this is. I spent uh, much of my time as a monk, I wonder what this is. And that wonderment, as soon as you ask, 
it starts showing you. It's miraculous. It's part of the serendipity of the play of life. So if you're interested in this radical accountability to see how truth, what in truth, how we constantly move out to explain internal uh, emotions and attitudes. And it's because we aren't comfortable holding them. We feel we need some justification for why we have to feel these things. And the justification is easy to put, place upon your neighbor. And so you, so it's, it's really from the sense of, of trying to justify having an emotion. But if you're willing to have an emotion, which mo all of us are moving towards, perhaps not completely realized, but moving towards, then, okay, I can do this. This is fine, you know? Right? It's okay. This is okay. This is okay. So I'm not going to say a lot more about radical accountability, uh, but I invite you to investigate it on your own. So you need to flush it out. In fact, everything you've heard this weekend, don't set it up as a doctrine for yourself until you flushed it out, until you really have come to the, to the grit and grime, until you until you're, have worked it, have worked it and really understand it, realized it, and then you'll know it. So now we're going to move to ethical integrity. And uh, ethical integrity uh, also is known as sila, sila in Buddhism. And uh, the, uh, another interpretation or what sila means in, in its Pali, the word sila, is bedrock. Bedrock. Now that's absolutely a beautiful uh, definition for it. It is an absolute bedrock. Now I used to poo-poo it. I used to, early on, just being honest, I thought, now oh, who needs it? You know, it's much more fun without it. I don't have to be in any way restrained in my desires and I can just do what I want to and then I'll practice, I'll meditate. Except you, you can't do it that way. You can do it that way. You can do it that way. It just that nothing happens. Just <laughs> the, the bedrock, the absolute bedrock is this this non-paranoid state of being confident and assured of one's position on earth. So you're not looking around saying, God, I lied to him, but nobody's, it's not coming back at me yet, but, you know, but it will, and it will, if nowhere else, it will in your mind. And you just get a sense that, whoa, you know, it starts forming it's just, it becomes a conclusion of heart. It becomes an absolute conclusion of heart. You see, anything that's really meaningful rather than a statement of morality, you can use it as a I don't care where you enter it, enter it. Because wherever you enter it, it will work much more for you than against you. However, if you enter it from a mental state of, of polarity, like good versus bad, I'm going to be moral, It'll work against you pretty bad, but it'll still be better than being amoral. So enter it. Your life will still clean up a lot, right? <laughs> but 
I want to talk about the amoral, I mean, the, the quality of morality, because you, you need to not confuse sila, ethical living, with morality. It's not the same thing. We're, this isn't a be good, this is not an admonition for you to be good. But, no, I, I'll t I want to take that away from you. We all want to be good, don't we? We just, we just, we think our hearts want to be good, but in so being, we're moralistic. We are being good to us is including some things and dismissing others. It's deciding the partitions of life and weighing in judgmentally on those things which don't fit our definition of goodness. And the world is now full of the pains of trying to be good and the violence of trying to be good. And so we have to understand that the way we're moralistic works against us. And here's a personal story to that effect. I, early on in my training, I decided I wasn't going to lie anymore. So I kept a lie notebook. So I had this little notebook, and every time I told a lie, I made a little mark in it. And then I counted the marks I made yesterday and the marks, you know, today, and they weren't adding up very well. But... So I was using my little lie notebook, and I was um, working in Cincinnati at the time, and this person comes in, and we were in discussion, and uh, I noticed that when I said something to him, I had distorted the truth a little bit, so I took out my notebook, and I made a little mark, <laughs> and I put it back in, and he looks at me, and he says, what did you just do? And I lied to him. <laughs> Throw it away. You just aren't going to win this one. So you can begin to see that the enormous pain that you generate by trying to keep yourself online with the, what you, the concept of goodness. So here's a very different way to move forward in goodness. Connect. People say, What's, how can I keep wise speech? We pick, the, we pick the eightfold path apart so that it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. We try to be wise in speech and we don't say anything that means anything because you're dodging all the... It's just, it, you know, here's, here's, here, let me, sh relax and talk from the heart. Yeah, duh. Just connect with the person in front of you and speak from that connection. The speech holds its own from, this, from the view of connection, from the willingness to connect from it. And you'll feel energetically, it's so, it's so, you feel energetically when the spirit of, of connection, the energetic sense of awareness that comes from connection. You feel it, you feel it, you feel in harmony. I, I don't know, I don't want to make this too glib, you, but you feel in line with the words and with the intonation. And then 
in the speech, if you say something that's a little bit distorted, you don't need a lie notebook. Your body tells you immediately you, you, because the sense of harmony goes away. You feel it. Now, mo many of you have already had that, haven't you, where you're sitting around and then somebody starts gossiping and you just feel, you feel it. You, and yet you'll go ahead probably and do it, but, to, but you are doing what you know. You're going against what you know in that moment. So the basic strategy is to do what we know. And the body's a beautiful reference for the energy of knowing that. And you can, you can it's, just try it. It's a very subtle but beautiful indicator of whether we're aligned with the heart or the mind in that moment. Now, ethical conduct, and the Buddha talked a lot about character development. So it's very interesting for me to sit up here and talk about character development now after I've talked about, you know, freedom from individuation, the whole retreat. But the, the Dharma is full of paradoxes such as this. Because as, you, as we harmonize ourselves in body, speech, and mind, in line with the Eightfold Path, and the character starts developing. If you make that a priority, you will then be leaning on your character in a moralistic way, and it will start working against you. But if you just let the character development develop on its own, just noticing it from time to time, that you're softer, kinder, nicer. I mean, I hope that's what you want, because that's where you're going. <laughs> if you don't want that, you're in the wrong field here. And so as you just you be start noticing your character, you know, it simmers over low heat. It simmers over the low heat of, it's like a soup that you just have on the back burner for 24 hours, you know, except it's not 24 hours, it's 24 years. And I don't know how, I don't know how it works because it's a miracle. That's all I know. Because if you had known me when I started out, believe me, you would not want to know me. You may still not want to know me. <laughs> but at least I'm different. <laughs> so sila is really the willingness to walk within human relationships while moving into silence. You see, it's, it gives you a format for using your postures to life in interaction. I, I'm a community Dharma teacher, as I think I mentioned before. My focus is not so much on retreat. I teach retreats. I think they're great. But my focus is tomorrow, what you're going to be like tomorrow, and whether you will show up for yourselves with the same determination. Because that's, that's where this thing works. That's where it's got to work. That's where the rubber of it meets the road. So it, whenever we start bringing or allowing mindfulness to touch us, we will often see the deceit of our lie. See, are you ready for that? You often see where you're not, where you're still unconscious, the patterns that keep, keep where you are not in harmony the pain of your life. 
And uh, that can get very discouraging very quickly in, until you realize that mindfulness itself, the power of it, the power of awareness, is only to show you what's there. It's not to try to determine or change what's there. In the realization, in the, in the clarity of seeing, the change will happen. Now that's, that is amazing because we're think we have to work this thing from top down. We think we have to get into the controls and that seeing, what is it, what good is seeing it? What good's that? Many, many, most people will have a moment of crisis where they see the pattern and, but that, what is, what good is that? This is where faith comes in. This is where faith comes in. You see, as you see, as we see together, we connect. We connect through the seeing. The heart comes out. The heart, in its foundation, does not want to harm. It doesn't, it's not the mind saying, no, I can't harm anything. It's the natural expression of life lived connectedly. When we are connected, there is no need or want or desire to hurt. Many of you in your meditation have already reached the point where you have no desire at all to hurt another human being or yourself. You may still, in times of complete darkness and unconsciousness, do that. But your intention in life is no longer aligned with that at all. And if it isn't there yet, it will be. That's one of the clearest insights that occur. And it's also a, 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 a milepost for you. Because you will never, you, would, you could not intone that into your mind in any other way but by seeing, awareness. Awareness begins to bring us in to the fold of connection. See, that's selflessness. You won't recognize it as selflessness because the self is still very much a predominant, a predominant uh, play in the mind. But it's getting quieter. It's getting quieter. And silence is taking a disproportionate role in what up until this point has been a life lived uh, in uh, words, through words. Silence is beginning to enter. When I say silence, I'm saying interconnectedness. When I'm saying silence, I'm saying the heart. When I'm saying silence, I'm saying selflessness. These are inter... I can use these words... What's the word I'm looking for? Interchangeably. Thank you. Interchangeably. Maybe you should give the talk and I could just keep quiet. <laughs> that would be a lot. <laughs> now, our ethical behavior will be as strong as our intention to explore our pain. Our ethical behavior will be absolutely proportional to our willingness to explore our pain. You aren't going to be able to get out of exploring your pain. Because the we see... The, the, when we create unethical behavior, it's because there is pain driving that particular pattern. Unseen, unconscious pain. Contraction around something. Usually around something that you need. Why would we lie? Why would we lie? We're lying to protect something that we don't want someone else to see. There's pain. Why don't we want to see it? Because we're not willing to look for ourselves. There's pain there, you see. 
So as we explore the pain of our life, that's how we flush out, we make the unconscious conscious because where we're hiding in pain, we don't want to see is darkness. And so as we begin to expose these areas to light, our awareness, there then comes the uh, realization of interconnectedness and, and oneness through that light. And then uh, sila or ethical conduct maintains itself. So we begin to realize that the pain we cause is because of the pain we are in. And so don't forget, let us not forget that the underwriting message of the Buddha is to go into this pain. It is not about lessening the pain by seeking alternative states that are pleasurable. And as we begin to flush out the area in which we have held ourselves with such disapproval, light begins to shine through us, for lack of a better word. But it also allows us to become vulnerable. And some of us, that's the worst word I could ever I could ever offer is the path of, of, of the heart is through vulnerability. What do you think? It's through brutality? <laughs> you see, it's through vulnerability. It's through non-defensiveness, another way of saying it, where we have released the need to, have, to lay critical defenses between ourselves and the facts of life. Why? Because we don't believe facts are friendly. We believe that they hold terrifying information about us. And the terrifying information is held in pain, in storage in us, which locked against the, the universe of other people's awareness. And so as we become less defensive, we begin to allow that to be exposed. not so bad, you know. It's not so bad to be humble. It's not so bad to, to admit to one's humility, you know. It's kind of interesting. It's the sense of self doesn't like it, but who cares? It's like just that. The practice of sila. Let's just go into a little bit about the practice of how we state this. When we're giving precepts, I say, undertaking the training. I, I love that. I, uh, we are undergoing a training. So already you've got an escape route, right? You're learning. You're learning. You're going to make mistakes. So the training is, a, is not expecting perfection, and neither should you. You're going to go two feet forward and you're going to go one foot forward, two feet back, three feet forward, two feet back. It's going to be like that. You're, and then you're going to make a mistake and you're going to fall down one whole six feet. 
but then you're going to progress at the rate of one foot and one body length. <laughs> because the mistakes really do show, do show us, you know, where, and we, and we take them seriously. Wow, look at this. And so forgiveness has to be all along the way on this. We have to be really clear that forgiveness is a companion of our travels. And let me show you the quick way to forgive. Don't pretend you didn't do it. If you pretend you don't do it, there will be no forgiveness because you know you did. Just own it and let it burn itself out. It's like a fire that starts out blazing and then dies down and it's just embers. You just don't take your, your, your sight off of it. I, I've done this many times and it scared me in the beginning. Now I do something and I just go, okay. So I just let the fire feel it. I do not excuse or rationalize or pretend I did not do it in any way. This is what I did. And then it burns out. And along the way you learned what you did. Hopefully awareness picked up a correction there so that it will improve if that situation unfolds again. And so everything that needs to have happened happened. Now you step forward. And this, this sense of, I undertake the training to refrain from, refrain from, you see, that restraint, that pause, that willingness to consider what I'm about to do. And I undertake the training to refrain from, Oh, okay, wow, so this is, this is, okay, so let me just, you know, is this mosquito, if I kill it, you just, you don't, after a while, it's not all that, it's not like volumes, it's just, because you realize that it's only your arrogance that would stomp it out. You're better than a mosquito. You will think again. Think again, my friends. There's nothing, there's no, hierarchy here. Life is life. Now does that mean we never kill? No. You take antibiotics, you step on ants, you live We were in Seattle and uh, my wife and I were sitting on a couch and under the kitchen door right in front of us It looked big. It was a rat. And just, it just, uh, I can't live with that. She says, I can't live with that either. <laughs> I'm saying, knowing Christina is going to come visit. <laughs> I want to tell you that we did, the rat's there, not there any longer. <laughs> but she what we. <laughs> And so we thought, well, you know, so I thought, okay, well, you know, what do I do? So I thought, have a heart trap, because that's one, you know, you put the peanut butter in the center and you put the little things up, the rat comes in and the clicks it, it trips the cage and you then cart it out. Not, not this rat. It eat, <laughs> it eat the peanut butter and escape. <laughs> so I built a better rat trap, which worked for me here. I put a stack of books up. You know, and then I had this big uh, uh, wastebasket, 
and I put peanut butter in the bottom of the wastebasket. So the rat would go up, smell the thing, jump into the wastebasket, and then not be able to jump out. It jumped in, ate the peanut butter, and jumped out. <laughs> this is true. So I said, eh. I tried everything. I'm not going to tell you what I did. Because that's not the point. The point is I considered. <laughs> I did consider. <laughs> so you, you just, you can say you refrain, you refrain, and then you consider conscious alternatives, conscious alternatives. There may not be any, but you consider, you let other possibilities come in, which is very different, very different life than, you know, get off my property. And it's a very different life to be conscious. It doesn't mean that you don't, kill, but to do so is the last resort of what you're doing. To, to, to the restraint, the need to restrain ourselves is, and I don't mean, sometimes we think of restraint as holding back our senses and even, but the Buddha was talking to monks mostly, like pulling back in and, and uh, I don't buy that way of being. I, there, I was listening to a tape by a monk in Australia and the monk said, somebody asked the monk, he said, uh, if you saw a sunset and you, your heart opened, what would you do? And he said, I would turn my head from it. I said, well, that guy is not going to be invited to my sangha. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to me. That's just, that's just a version or trying to keep yourself kind of in jail through your own muscular. You just, you look at it. And then if you find yourself wanting it tomorrow to come back, you feel the pain of that. And the, and the uh, feedback of the mind shows you the pain. You say, oh, okay, well, well, it was wonderful today. I don't know what it'll be like tomorrow. I don't even know if I'll be back tomorrow. And you release it. And so it's not anti, we're not anti-beauty here. We're not against the beautiful. We're not even against the pleasurable at all. We do have to question indulgence. We do. You know, I would let you indulge as much as you want, but the earth can't stand it. And excuse me for harping on this, but it's time someone did so. The earth cannot stand it. We're each going to have to learn how to become more uncomfortable because the resources aren't there to maintain our level of comfort. That's the fact. And the environment can't take that level of pollution. So it means becoming less comfortable. So we, we've been here a week. It has not been air conditioned. And yet here we are, you see. We can do this thing. It just requires us being conscious to where, our, where we set our righteous limitations. It's just, okay, I can do this. This is fine. I do it for my own well-being and for all beings. And boy, it has never meant more than it does now for all beings, for the earth. And 
the principles of seal, the principle of non-harm, the principle of restraint, the principle of just pausing, the restraint within pausing. And what it does also is it begins to show us the way towards wise view because each sila is a parami. A parami is an attribute, and it's hard to say attribute because awareness doesn't really have an attribute, but it's, it's a, because there's no word, it's an attribute of awareness. Full awareness, which is full seeing, which is full union, doesn't hurt, doesn't harm, has no harm. Another attribute, another of awareness is generosity. It goes this way. Now, okay, so now you can make that a perfection in yourself, or you can say that, you know, the more aware I am, the more generous I see myself becoming. I'd like to speed this up, so I'm going to try to become more aware, not necessarily more generous, but let awareness take care of the generosity. Let awareness take care of it. And I, my job is just to begin to see where it is that the darkness lies within me. And as I begin to look into those darkened areas, lo and behold, generosity comes forth, as does sila. It's an attribute of being conscious. And you start looking at ways that you, we block that awareness from unfolding in our life. We just... So you stay on the continuum. If you get too sidetracked, like I'm not generous enough, I've got to be more generous, then the mind starts taking over not awareness. And you start getting darker, covered, more unconscious, because the sense of self is trying to do it. The sense of self is itself darkness. Darkness is trying to shine the light of awareness. You've got to make this thing move in a wise direction for you. Let me, I'd just like to say another word. The path of emptiness is the path of sufficiency. The universe sums to zero. When we think we're insufficient, it's just a thought. It's just an emotion arising. I, what I like to do is when I feel the worst in myself, I like to test it. I say, okay, where's sufficiency in this moment? I'm not moving. It better show itself, because if it isn't here, then it's not worth pursuing. And I've made a, a, a big mistake for 40 years, and it always arises. Just in inclining the mind towards it. We begin we become less and less willing to, to believe in the state of mind as the truth. Because it, it says nothing about us. And more and more in the sufficiency at hand,
And this whole sense of sila, it's beautiful actually because you really don't get paranoid much more. You know, when somebody says, I have something to take you to task for, you just, that's it. I didn't, your mind is completely clear. There's no shame. You know in your heart that all along the way you have not meant harm. And then somebody says, well, you did this. And I said, okay. See if I can learn from it. May, I mean, I, even though I'm my, I don't want to hurt, it doesn't make, I mean I don't make mistakes. But your consciousness is clear. It's not this, it doesn't recycle back. Oh, I'm such a, it doesn't go back into shame. Oh, what my mother, oh. <laughs> It's like just, it's just go, it's just, it's just like that. It's a refresh button, you know, on the internet or on your browser, refresh. We're up to date, we're up to date. You just start pushing that reset button, you're up to date. You just start moving it forward, up to date, up to date. And then there's the faith. Well, so what catches us when we give up greed and hatred for God's sake, if that's all we've known? What catches us when we release ourselves from a conditioned patterns? There's a moment of awkwardness because we don't really know what catches us. It's like when you have decided that you're going to put away your insufficiency, your inadequacy, your unworthiness, what's, what's going to come up? What's, what's the, you haven't got a new image. That's the only one you know. This is, this is the hardest. This is even harder than looking at the pain. This sends most people back into the pain because at least the ego is satisfied as a negative image. It's, it's better to be wanted by the police than not wanted at all. <laughs> I used to keep that sign on my... But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you see, because you realize it. You, you realize the heart. You just realize it. It's, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I may not. I'm just walking. I'm just going to go forward. It's a beautiful path. It's full of wonder, serendipity books opening, meeting the stranger. Thank you. Can we sit for a minute or two? It's right in front of us. It's, a, it's right now. It's right in front of us. One of the things you'll notice as you start moving is that the time, time will play less and less a part of your, it'll first show itself, at least it did with me, is that I don't daydream. It's, you know, it's daydreaming. You just don't daydream. You don't 
start looking and just have your eyes kind of just glazing and date, that goes because there's no sense in it. It's like, where does it take you? It takes you nowhere. And then you realize that you aren't planning like you used to, and there's and there the worry goes. It's like I, you just don't worry in the same way. And so time, time gets the corridor of time where we used to go, where you used to. It's just gets very. When I say narrow, it doesn't mean tight because in the narrowness is fullness, is richness. The thoughts kept us narrow. And the less dependent we become on time, the more we become wondrous. Playing in the field of wonder. And nobody can talk you out of it. Not Guru G. Nope. Sorry, Guruji. Move aside, please. Even if the Buddha came in here and said, you've been making a mistake, Rodney. It's all about thinking. <laughs> Just move over a little bit, and I'll keep talking your lessons. Right? Nothing, nothing, nothing. OK, all good. Thank you. So there's a walking period now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.